Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. We had a very interesting topic our last time around. It was called Enjoying Your Work. Believe it or not, there are ways to do that. And hopefully, you'll listen to this and learn ways to do it if you're not actually enjoying your work. Because we talked about ways to deal with a difficult boss, the value of you as an employee, so that you're not always feeling that, wow, they could, like, I'm dispensable. Uh, the value of learning workplace etiquette and respect. And we also gave you an acronym, which is a simple way to remember a couple of things called COM. And it was for communicate, anticipate, levity, and manage up. And those are the things that kind of help us really be able to stay on track. You'll find all my podcasts on my website or on iTunes. And my website is www.drsophie.com. So take a listen on my website or on iTunes. This week, we are talking about a very mm, confusing topic because I don't think people understand really what it is about and really how to draw the line to say something is and something isn't. And what we're talking about is risk. What is really a risk? Is risk something that is only dangerous? Is risk something that is only dangerous to me as a person? I want to learn more about that so that you guys can hear it and we can all learn together. And with me today is our guest expert, Dr. Glenn Croston, who is a PhD, biologist, researcher, author, who's done a lot of work on the study of risk, the story of risk, and different ways to look at risk. And he's going to join us, tell us a little bit about his book, and then we're going to jump into this. Doctor, are you with us? Yeah, hi. How are you? Doing great. So tell us a little bit about you and then about your kind of take on risk before we jump into this. Yeah, well, I'm a biologist, you know, going going way back and um, doing a variety of things. And along the way, you know, I'm kind of interested in the, in the topic of of risk because it seems to touch on a little, lot of different aspects of, of life. Uh, you know, financial risk, health risk, in, environmental risk, and then it seems like we don't uh, do it. We do a surprisingly poor job a lot of times at sort of understanding the risks we face and, and how we can deal with them better. Okay. So, you know, so from there I got, got interested in sort of talking to a lot of other folks who've done lifetimes of research on this and, and putting together a lot of the pieces and, and finding that there's just kind of an interesting story there about, you know, who we are sort of at a basic biological level and where we came from in evolution, where uh, in, in the very different world we live in today and the very different risk we face compared to where we came from in the past. Okay. So, like, are you telling us then that risk is just something outside of our body? Well, you know, I, not not exactly. I think that there's sort of two parts to it. And one is just the statistics of, of risks, you know, the things that insurance companies look at that where they can look it up in the table and say, you know, that there's this chance that something's going to happen and affect you in a, in a bad way. But but really it's more to it than that. It's also how we perceive the risks that we, we face. It's it's a, an equally important part of the equation because it's not a, most of us don't deal with the world through statistics most of us deal with the world in terms of how we how we feel about things you know we're walking around on a daily basis we we face risks every as soon as you get out of bed you know getting out of bed driving your car to work yeah yeah absolutely in the morning you know it's every every step of the way there's some kind of risk involved but but we don't sit there and calculate the statistics we're just basically handling most of those in a very simple gut level okay so really then would you say that the average person like me would look at a risk as something that is dangerous to them as a person or something that they perceive as a risk, like getting out of bed, falling down the steps, or driving your car and it's dangerous, or something that I've been told could be a risk by these statistics? 
Well, all these things, they, they play a role, and a lot of it comes from, uh, from uh, some of it's at a basic biological level that, you know, where fear of things like snakes, for example, seems to come from us from way back in evolution. And, and sometimes we do use our intellect and things like statistics to judge risk, but not, not usually. Often it's from experience, it's from what we see around us, it's from our, what we, we read about or you see on TV, what our friends and neighbors tell us. So it's kind of an amalgam of all those different things. Okay, I get that. And then I guess how we perceive whatever, whether it's the statistics or how we feel, there are going to be different ways that we respond to those risks then. So like okay. there's the statistics of how you can get a virus or a communicable disease because somebody next to you is coughing or whatever, and there's those statistical risks and how that might make somebody feel and they may get OCD-ish about it or anxious or they may not care and not worry. But it's all based on that kind of stuff and that's how we then react to a risk. Is that correct? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there's the, the perception isn't is you know some of it can be statistics which shape us you know we see somebody coughing next to us but it's also kind of just a basic gut level feeling like ooh gross you know right okay so anyway. that's big, the bigger driver is the feeling side of it more than the I actual so. black you and know, white I data us, I think fairly do we really resort to an intellectual decision we can we're capable of it but it's hard it's time consuming and and, uh, and really I think what drives a lot of our decisions. Is, is the emotional level of, you know, it right. has more impact on us, you know, the feelings contribute a lot to our decisions, much more so than I, I think the, uh, the intellectual side usually does. Okay, so then would that then lead us to think that oftentimes our behavior or our reactions don't indicate that we think something is a risk that other people think is a higher risk to us? So like, we'll take risks that we are clearly told by statistics or whatever that are dangerous, but our behavior doesn't say we're listening to those stats. Is that oftentimes because it's driven by me, the feelings? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, that if we, I mean, the studies have shown that if if we like something, then we'll judge it to be less risky. You know, if we find somebody to be sexually attractive, we'll underestimate the risk of, of STDs. If we like the, ta the taste of a cheeseburger, we'll underestimate the risk of, of heart disease. Got it. Um, you know, the more excited, the more we like it. The more in control we are, you know, control is another big factor. If we're, if we're in control, we feel something's less risky. It's like when you're driving, if you're in, you're in the, the driver's, the, uh, the steering wheel, if you're in the driver's seat, you judge things to be a lot safer than when you're in the passenger seat. Got it. Okay, let's take a caller, and then we'll come back to this. Hello. Who's with us? Hi, this is uh, Chase. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate it. Sure, thank you. So I am a uh, peer advisor at my college, and one of the things that we as peer advisors are tasked to do is warn incoming freshmen about certain risks, especially when alcohol is involved. And I find that, you know, we, we tell the kids about certain statistics and, you know, we'll give them kind of horror stories about when people get out of control drinking and right. um, things of that sort. But I really don't feel as though it's that effective. I feel like the only real effective way of getting through to an incoming freshman who wants to party and, wa and, and is on their own and wants to kind of have the best time they can. The only way to get through to them is if they personally experience something or if they have a close friend who has experienced something. So I'm wondering if you have any advice as to 
how to really nail home the fact that there are real risks that come into play when you're in college and dealing with drinking and situations like that. That's a great question. So the scare tactic doesn't work, you're saying, up front, and they only learn the hard way. Exactly. So what do you think? And that's what what we want to avoid. Yeah. All right, Dr. Crossan, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure you've heard this I think that's a common scenario, you know, that we, we try to tell people about the statistics of things, and it doesn't always come across, but, um... But, but experience, and experience is a very powerful teacher. You know, you'd like to get mm-hmm. to people before they have that personal experience, though. I, I think one, one or two things. One is that, you know, stories can be a better communicator of risk than statistics are. If you can tell a story with emotional impact that really gets through to people, it's, it's usually more likely to really connect with them and, and to mm-hmm. drive on the message more than, like, a whole pile of statistics will. So I think, you know, stories can be a really good way to convey that kind of information and maybe, you know, through video format or through personal experiences that you've had or people you've known. And, you know, that's one. And and I think the social influences are really a strong factor in things like this. You know, why do kids drink? Oftentimes it's because the other kids are drinking. And so, you know, you have to judge the, the, if you really want to change behavior, you have to include that that social motivation, you know, and to think about, you know, how can we, how can we provide a counterweight to that, you know, how can we make it cool not not to drink? It's kind of, I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, it's it's really hard, but uh, but I think that social behavior is a big part of the uh, the decision making process there. And so, when you're saying tell these stories, you mean tell them really where there's some real true emotion and and they're really heartfelt. They're not scare tactics in a different way. Yeah, I mean, you know, scare tactics don't really work all that well, and uh, I think there's lots of studies which show that to be the case. And um, but it, but you do have to connect emotionally. You know, you have to really kind of uh, find a way that reaches through, that gets them to listen, and that if you have an, a story with an emotional impact, it's a lot more likely to work than than uh, just uh, statistics about the dangers. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what I found works also is to be able to have them engage and give me a story that they can pull from or if they've had something similar or heard of something. And it really has them then part of that whole process. And it does stick because feelings are the things that drive the perception of risk that we're learning today. Yeah, definitely. All right. I hope. Does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. I I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, you know, also doing exercises where they have to write things down also, like their feelings or their emotions or whatever about certain things really helps that stick, too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to our discussion. So another question that I have uh, for you, Dr. Croston, is to what extent do people have to learn about risks for themselves, like personally? Like mine might be different than yours, other than the general ones like illness, virus, car stuff. Well, you know, I think it's it's great if people can learn from the experience of others and... um, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we do kind of have to learn things for ourselves. I think parents go through this with their kids, right? That you'd love to tell your kids, look, don't make all the bonehead moves I did. I mean, learn from my own experience. But uh, sometimes it just seems that personal experience is, is, is one of the most powerful motivators. So we keep coming back to the same point, which is, you know, try to connect through a feeling connected way to try to convey to someone their risks that they're going to po- supposedly run into or be, you know, confronting and that's really the best thing that we can do other than them having the experience themselves oh yeah i mean if you, if you too have a if you have a good story to tell 
and uh, you can you can relate the information that way. I think that's really an, it's a very effective tool. So, and, you know, it's better than like we talk about scare tactics. Um, much more effective than scare tactics. You so, try to scare people into going to the dentist, you know, and not stuff doesn't work well. People turn off. It, you know, it actually drives them away. Um, but if you can connect with it to draw them in, a story can entice. Yeah, 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 and it gets them to feel. Yeah. But I guess I, the other part of the question, though, is to what extent do you personally believe, after all the research you've done, is it important or not important for an individual to learn about their own individual risks? Like somebody knowing that maybe they have ADD or they have impulsivity or they have anxiety and the risks that come with that. Is it important for them to connect all of that? Well, it's uh, sure. I mean, it's really it's it's helpful for people to consider these things and to make these sound decisions. You know, and the more information we have about about who we are as an individual, the better able we are to, to kind of guide our way around these risks. And, you know, not to become overwhelmed by it. Sometimes people kind of go to the extreme where they're so worried about the risks that they, you know, have trouble making decisions or moving forward. You've got to balance making risks versus the benefits you're trying yeah. to make and just, and just living in life. You don't want to become overwhelmed by the risks we face, but it's good to be informed. Right. So balance is the key. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got that. So tell, I have a email I want to read to you from Dan from Milwaukee. He's asking us, should a rational person base how scared they are solely on the risk the situation at hand presents? While that seems logical, it also seems impossible. Well, you, I, I think our decisions aren't just based on that particular moment. They're based on everything that led up to that moment in, in our lives. So, so you know, historically, that, history plays a role, right? Our, his, okay. our history as an individual, yeah. I mean, you know, that they talk about, you know, why don't people prepare for things like earthquakes or, or hurricanes. And, you know, one reason is that um, our personal experience tells us that these things don't usually happen, that we don't have to prepare because, you know, year after year, it's never going to hurt us. So, you know, it's our decisions aren't just based on that moment. It's based on a, a million moments that led up to that moment. So past ex experiences, historical experiences, etc., are the things that dictate how serious we're going to take a risk and prepare for it or whatever. Oh, it's a huge factor, right? I mean, it's like, I think it plays a, a big role in guiding those gut-level decisions, and it, sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes experience is a great teacher, you know? Sometimes with things like rare risks that we're seldom going to face in life, it ends up being kind of a bad teacher because, you know, all those million moments can make you lead you in the wrong direction. Got it. All right, let's do a quick voicemail. Hi, Dr. Sophie. This is Michael. I'm calling from Maryland, uh, and I'm calling because I have a really good friend who... I've sort of been getting pretty frustrated with lately because he has a lot of these sort of irrational fears that to me um, seem like pretty commonplace things and, and things that aren't necessarily dangerous. Um, you know, things simply like getting on a plane to fly somewhere. Um, you know, he kind of thinks of the worst possible scenarios of things that might happen or just even being outside during a, a pretty severe storm something like getting struck by lightning. Mm. There are many other situations like this where he's very afraid of what could happen to him, but when in reality, to me, it seems like there are very, very few people that actually get hurt or something bad happens to them in these types of situations. Mm. And so my question for you is, how can you rationalize with someone like this, someone like my friend, so that they can sort of understand the other side 
being that their fear, you know, sometimes and oftentimes might be irrational um, so that, you know, they, they're able to kind of do these things that right now they're afraid of doing. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's a great question. I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think having a discussion about, about things, these, these sort of fears about unusual risks can be helpful. I mean, it may be, though, that it's maybe a rational discussion isn't enough for some folks, you know, that they have, like, an anxiety disorder that um, it's hard to, you can't really reason someone out of that, I, I, I think, that if somebody has a specific fear of, you know, something like lightning or or sharks, you know, and then it can be helpful to have a kind of a discussion that, you know, that sharks really hardly ever attack anybody. It's a handful right. of fear. But if they, I mean, if somebody really has a broader issue, then, you know, they may, they need psychological help, really. I guess I would be yeah. imagine they need, need to talk to a professional about something like that. That's a perfect lead into my response, because that's what I was going to say. That's when you really have to kind of look at and see the value of adding some kind of treatment modality to the process so that it doesn't keep staying a hurdle in someone's life. There are so many different kinds of treatments, and medicine is probably at the last of the list. I'm talking like cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure therapy, flooding, all kinds of different great behavioral interventions and therapeutic interventions. So at a certain point, I think you cross that line where it may stop your life, that fear of that risk, that you might need to get some intervention. And I think there's not a darn thing wrong with that because it'll help open up your life, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, one of the things about risk that I kind of, you know, kind of concluded the book with was saying, you know, you know, there are all these risks we face, and every day we face a million of them. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop living. I right. mean, we just have to, it's some, sometimes it's helpful to know what we're up against. But nonetheless, you know, we, we decide, we balance what is the risk versus what is the benefit. And if we perceive these risks to be so great that we're paralyzed by fear, that's not a good place to be, you know, uh, and that's, yep. I think that's a good time to seek help. Yep, I agree. One more question, and then I want to ask you questions about you. How should a parent balance telling their children about risks versus letting them learn on their own? Have you ever, like, do you give that kind of advice to parents? Like, you know, do they monitor these kids and track them tightly? Do they let them have some flexibility? What do you think? You know, what do I think? Okay, I think it's good to uh, to communicate with your kids and to uh, to let them know, you know, what you, what you've learned from life and what you have to offer, and um, and I think uh, if you have a good relationship with your kids, at some point, you know, you eventually they're moving towards adulthood. I think that there's got to be some, hopefully, some level of trust. If you have, you know, good kids and you've raised them well, then. You can't monitor them too closely because how are they going to ever learn to be independent, healthy adults if, if you live with them that way? So, you know, we all want to protect our kids and keep them up in a cocoon and, and you know, prevent any manner of life's harms from coming to them. But, uh, but as they move towards adulthood, they're going to be facing all those same risks that you have, and they're going to have to figure out how to do that on their own, I think. So balance is the key. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about your book and where we can find more of you. Yeah, okay, well, the book is, the, you know, the real story of Risk, and it's on Amazon or in, in various other places where you, you can find books. Um, there's a little bit more about it at the website at uh, therealstoryofrisk.com. And uh, and me, you know, I'm just, uh, so like we, we set up at the beginning of the show, I'm a biologist, author, dad, um, and, and working on a couple other projects at the moment, so... Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great topic. I think it touches on a lot of different things, um, the risks we face in life. And um, 
hoping people get to uh, take a look at it and then let me know what they think. Great. Thank you. We will hit you up. The book is called The Real Story of Risk. That's Dr. Glenn Croston, who's been sharing some of his great advice with us and expertise on risk. Check him out. The Real Story of Risk by Dr. Glenn Croston. Thank you. Have a great day in San Diego. Hey, thanks for having me. Very interesting topic. Great expert. Lots of good information. Some really good tips to take away. I guess one of the things I want to talk about a little bit is that one of the things we didn't focus on is that risk is not just stuff outside of us. Risk is telling a lie or stealing something and hoarding and all of those kinds of destructive behaviors, whether they're self or other directed. So we can't just think of risk as, oh, an earthquake or driving our car or whatever. It's also pushing ourselves to do things that may harm ourselves or others, and they are huge risks as well. So we've got to take a look at all kinds of risks when we're talking about risks. Our four key points I want you to take home today are what is a risk? The perception of risk is based somewhat on how we view a risk based on the statistics of what they tell us risks are from earthquakes and and highway accidents and freeway accidents and all that kind of stuff to the way we feel about things. So something could be told to us in black and white data that it's a risk, but if we like it, we're going to do it. So perceiving and understanding and defining what is a risk in our own life is probably a combination of the statistics and the hard data and the actual way we feel about something. But usually it's the feeling about that that drives whether we call it a risk or not. The second thing I want you to really take away is you need, and it's very important to do this, to individualize your own risks. So you got to take a look at yourself and see who are you, what have you learned, and how have you lived, and what would you qualify as a risk for you, and then how do you deal with that, and how do you take that forward, learning that something was a risk that you took and it didn't come out right and you had a not great experience or something you thought was a risk that actually you did that came out well really take inventory of that and have your own individualized set of risks so you learn because some of our learning is the hard way where we have to hit the wall and some of it is we can take the uh, statistics and take a look at it and say hey you know what those stats are pretty high i'm not going to do that versus you know what i really want to do that i don't care what the stats are i'm going to learn the hard way but know your individual risks the third thing I want you to understand is really looking at and understanding that personal experiences, all your historical life before you, is what's going to dictate to you, again, whether you perceive something as a risk or not. And so if it was a good experience, you're probably not going to see it as a risk. And if you see it as a bad one, you're going to say, hey, that's a risk. And then the fourth thing is for parents to really take a look at balancing this for their children because trying to tell your children that something is a risk is really difficult. Sometimes they do have to learn on their own, but then there is that other side that you do have to tell them that it's a risk and really prevent it from happening. So it's a balance, again, for parents when they're trying to teach their children risks. So four good points. Take them, take a listen to them, write them down, listen to them over and over again until you really get them because it's really important. We had a great expert today, Dr. Glenn Croston. He has a book out called The Real Story of Risk. Take a look at it. It's very good. I want to thank everybody for listening, for calling in, for the emails and the voicemails. You can cut all of these podcasts on my website at www.drsophie.com and on iTunes. New phone app is available on iTunes. Go get it. It's free. Check it out. You can interact with me. You can text with me. Tons of great videos. So check it out. New phone app on iTunes. I'm always there if you need me at 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Title of my book is Side by Side, the revolutionary mother-daughter program for conflict-free communication. Grab a copy of it. 
Follow me on Twitter and Facebook for all kinds of updates and new podcasts. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And the most important thing today, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey, you gotta keep your head up.